So we're in John chapter 3, and um, starting with verse 22, so John 3, 22, in the Pew Bible, you'll find this on page 1052. A number of people have encountered Jesus as we've been uh, going through the Gospel of John, and they all seem to be mystified by him, uh, Nicodemus, the the. The, pre, the, the Jewish leaders in the temple, uh, the mother of Jesus doesn't even quite seem to understand him. But here we meet someone who does. Will you read with me? John 3, starting with verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anan near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washings. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The Word of the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, take Your Word Open our ears and our minds to receive it. Bless us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, someone uh, loaned me a copy of this video. Of It's part of the video Bible, and it's the Gospel of John. So just as they, they heard we're, we're starting this Gospel of John series, they loaned this thing to me. And so I sat with family members, and, and we started watching it. And we were amazed in, in scene after scene, in, in uh, chapter after chapter. The whole script is nothing but the Gospel of John, and then it's just got the movie you know, acting out. But, but it's so amazing that Jesus says the things that he says in front of all these people. And you know, then you know what he's going to say because you've read, read the gospel over and over again. Oh, no, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. And he lands another one. You know, 
I am the, the way, the truth, the life. I am, uh, before Abraham was, I am. You know, all, all this stuff about I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat from me, you have no life in you. You know, oh, it's so hard to uh, deal with the claims of Jesus. It's so hard to receive him because uh, the way he speaks just over, uh, overwhelms us. It unsettles us. It, uh, it breaks our categories. Is something happening here? Um, so, because Jesus is God's son, people should receive him gladly. It's, it's hard to, to deal with someone who is like this, who is like Jesus. But because he is God's son, we need to respond to him. And we, we need to open our hearts to him. We need to be grateful for someone like this who comes and makes himself known to us. What an amazing personage. What an amazing person. God's son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. Because he's God's son, uh, people should receive him with joy, with gladness, gratefully, um, even though he unsettles us. The first uh, part of this section that we're reading about here is... um, is the disciples of John, and they're very unsettled by Jesus. And they, they don't feel a great deal of joy, a great deal of gladness about Jesus' presence. In fact, it sort of seems like he's trouble. Um, but even though Jesus unsettles us, even though he brings trouble in our lives in many ways, we should be so grateful, we should be so glad to receive him. So, Uh, verse 22 and 23, uh, all the way to 24, verses 23 to 24, John's disciples are threatened in their sense of self-importance, their sense of self-worth, their sense of accomplishment. Um, uh, They have their specialty, and Jesus is taking it over. Let's just read verses 22 to 24. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, baptizing is what John's disciples do. It's what they know. They're the ones who are sort of the experts on this. They're the ones who got in on the ground floor with John. Now, and, and not only that, but verse 23, Jesus seems to be doing this in the same area. Now, John also was baptizing at Anan near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. So Jesus is, you know, he's eating their lunch. He's, he's uh, you know, st- walking behind them and he's stepping on their feet. He's, he's kind of encroaching on their territory and it makes them apparently feel unsettled. You know, just as you look at this passage and the way they, they seem to come to their teacher, uh, very unsettled, um, and especially their, their problem is, hey, you know, that fellow, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. So their sense of self-importance is threatened. Jesus tends to 
unsettle our sense of self-importance. In, uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, that great passage, he, he describes the relationship that we have with him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, it's, uh, it, it rather diminishes us. We feel kind of small when we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ this way. He takes our self-importance and he lowers it down a few notches. Um, so the j- disciples of John are, are unsettled uh, about this, but then also, not only is their self-importance being undermined, but their self-assurance, their self-confidence. I mean, there's one thing they know. As disciples of John, they understand ceremonial washings. But it seems like something is going on in the environment here. Maybe it's because Jesus is there. That seems to be the thing that's on their minds. That's what they want to talk about with their teacher. Maybe that's why at this time there's a certain Jew who comes and he starts bringing a controversy that just seems to get under their skin. And they're unsettled. They're upset. Um, Their their system, their order, their structure... um, Somehow it's not, um, it's, it's called into question. And it's unsettled. Their sense of self-assurance, their sense of control, their sense of having a system, their sense of knowing how to manage things with God, their sense of being able to direct people into the relationship with God and kind of put everything on its right uh, path. It's, it's in upheaval. They're having a controversy and they don't know where to land, and they have to come to their teacher with it. There is no system. There's no order. There's no structure. There's no church. There isn't a way or a method that we can find that will just put our relationship with God in order. Rather, it's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we don't have you know, the system, the Baptist system or the evangelical system uh, for how to be right with God. Just come to Jesus and work it out with him. It's personal. And it's unsettling because we can't really control Jesus. We can't even see him. So the disciples of John are unsettled. Their self-importance is unsettled. Their self-assurance is unsettled. Their ambitions are unsettled. They thought they, they had a good thing. They'd, they had uh, gotten in on the ground floor with John the Baptist. They were moving ahead. They, they had a, a, a ministry trajectory. They had a plan, and things were going well. But now, verse 26, they come to John, and they say to him, Rabbi, teacher, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, you know, you gave him the boost at the beginning of his career. Well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. We're has-beens. Our ministry seems to be winding down. Our prospects are not looking so good. Jesus came to bring changes in the relationship between God and man in that pattern of relationship which had been revealed, which God had revealed in Judaism. And Jesus is coming to bring changes. Maybe not changes. He's 
He's coming to fulfill it. No longer will, will people relate to God just in shadows and patterns and foretellings and foreshadowings. But now the king is here. And now the relationship is out in the open. Uh, it's, a, it's a direct relationship with God in Jesus Christ. But he's changing things, and it's very unsettling for people. It's an unsettling time. And uh, so throughout the Gospel of John, people are encountering this fellow who's changing everything, who's turning everything upside down. But even today, you know, people expect religion to be something that stabilizes society and keeps society uh, lubricated and helps everything work well. You know, religion is kind of good for the moral capital kind of thing. But Jesus is destabilizing. Jesus, he's unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen with these followers of Jesus. Um, you think you've, you know, religion that is in service of society is not in service of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't serve anybody. He is Lord. Uh, so Jesus unsettles. And he's unsettling to people, to individuals today. I, um, I know a fellow. He, um, he's, he just really experienced a change in his life when he came to faith in Christ. He told me, I thought I had it all together. Uh, he looks at his big hands and he says, you know, I used to be a big shot. I had a big mouth and I had big plans. And, uh, you know, I could, I could do anything. I could take on anything. And then I came to faith in Christ. The first thing that happened is I couldn't work anymore. Well, he, you know, he was disabled. And uh, it's, it's a complete shock to him, completely backwards expectation. You know, you come to Jesus and then bad things happen to you. And he couldn't figure that out. But he held on to Jesus. But then he found he couldn't insult people. He couldn't start fights. He couldn't... Um, uh, he had to put up with things. He couldn't just manage things the way he'd always managed them. And so the ways that he had of putting his life together, they seemed to all be coming apart, and his whole life seemed to be coming apart. And I asked him, do you want to go back? And he said, I'd never go back. Are you kidding? No. He says, I think it's time for me to get baptized. God unsettles people, and you know our lives seem to come apart sometimes. It's not bad. It's good. Unsettled people are listening. Unsettled people are open. And God works in the lives of people who are open to him. People who listen to Jesus sometimes get unsettled. People who really try to follow the Lord, they can get unsettled. Should I give should I volunteer? Should I move? Should I buy? Should I sell? Should I prioritize? Should I change? And uh, Jesus unsettles people today. Maybe this church is unsettled. Maybe, you know, with the new building and lots of things happening and new people coming, people we haven't known before, it's great to have new faces. We've been praying for this. Or maybe you're new and you come to this place and everything's new, everything's strange. What do they do? And your life feels unsettled as you try to fit in and you try to be part of something that you don't even quite understand. You're trying to figure it out. 
The status quo is not the goal. Jesus is. Sometimes the king comes and he's unsettling. Sometimes the kingdom of God is unsettling. But it's the kingdom of God. So the disciples of of John show us how not to respond to Jesus. They respond in a, you know, in a very disturbed way. They're upset. They're confused. But John the Baptist gives us a beautiful picture of how we should respond to Jesus Christ, how we should receive Christ with joy. So let's look at John the Baptist and his response to this whole situation, starting in verse 27. So John, um, John's disciples, they sort of have problems with Jesus because he's unsettling. He unsettles them. But John the Baptist, he loves Jesus. He's, he's uh, thrilled to know Jesus and to be part of, of uh, Jesus' kingdom, even though Jesus overshadows him, even though Jesus uh, all but makes John disappear. Jesus takes over. Jesus overshadows him. So verse 27 and 28, Jesus overshadows John's work. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. John's work is overshadowed by Jesus. John's whole role, his whole work is to go ahead of Jesus, to go before him, to be a forerunner. You know, he's the guy who goes before the great person and says, make way, make way, make way in the old ancient world when everybody walked on, you know, on the sidewalks and didn't drive cars. Uh, I guess he would be like the policeman these days who drives you know, down the road uh, on a motorcycle with a siren going because somebody important is coming behind. And just to kind of warn traffic, make way, make way, make way, That's his whole role. His whole role is focused on someone else. And so John's work is nothing but a little piece of the work of Jesus. It's a small role. And like John, that's our job. All we get to do is go ahead of Jesus and say, make way. All we get to do is announce, Jesus is here. Jesus is coming. And that's, that's our job. We're the make-way guy. We're the make-way person. So Jesus overshadows John's work. Jesus overshadows John's purpose. Look in verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. John's whole purpose is just to let Jesus shine. So he's only an attendant. So Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the one with the rights. John's whole purpose is to serve Jesus. So the, the, the best man isn't at the wedding in order to get the bride. 
No, he's not even interested in the bride. He's not, he's not uh, focused on her. That's his, his good friend's intended. And all he's interested in, the best man, is all he's interested in is helping his friend, the bridegroom. And so John the Baptist says, that's my whole role in life. All I am in life is a best man for Jesus. All I'm here for is to serve Jesus. I don't have, you know, a goal or an ambition of my own. I'm just here for him. It's, it's humbling. And then uh, John the Baptist, his joy is overshadowed by Jesus. Because look what he says there. Um, the joy of the best man is to hear the bridegroom's voice. Just, just having the bridegroom around, that's what he's excited about. That is the great thing for the best man is that he's at his friend's wedding. And he gets to be with his friend at this special moment. And the great thing for John the Baptist is that Jesus is here and that John gets to serve Jesus and that Jesus is winning a people for himself. And so when John sees that people are leaving him and he's becoming less popular, but he sees the people, some of the people at least, are going to Jesus, then he's thrilled. Jesus gets the joy of having the people. Jesus is the bridegroom. The bridegroom is the one who has the happy day. And John the Baptist says, my happiness is that he gets his bride. He gets the people that he came for. He gets his lost sheep, and he brings them to himself. And he rejoices in that, and so I rejoice in that. So our highest purpose in life is just to serve him. And all our work is nothing but just going ahead of him. Um, listen to what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, as he sends out his disciples, his messengers in the world. He tells them how they're just servants. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. If, if we can just serve Jesus, we will have joy. We will have the joy that he, that he gets, and we'll share in it. So South Shore Baptist needs to be a church that just serves Jesus, a church that just goes ahead of him, just goes and says, make way, make way, make way. We need to be a church that's focused on the message of the gospel, not on some great new technique, um, not focused on um, being better than other churches or having some new method or, or great people, but just announcing Jesus to let him become greater, to let Jesus change lives. We want to introduce him. That's our whole work is to introduce Jesus. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. It's a great joy to make that happen, a great joy to let Jesus overshadow us. Well, that's, uh, that's John the Baptist's uh, take. He must become greater, I must become less. A great model, a great example for us to follow. 
John's disciples were put off because Jesus is unsettling. John the Baptist is, um, it's it's kind of off-putting that Jesus is so um, overshadowing, but John the Baptist delights in being overshadowed by Jesus. And so that's the model for us, to delight in Jesus getting all the honor for everything we do, having all the attention for everything that we do and are. And then, starting with verse 31, it seems, uh, it seems the, the voice shifts. Um, it's no longer talking about I, like it does in verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. And so, uh, commentators and interpreters are trying to figure out, you know, where does the quotation end? In our NIV, you'll see the quote marks continue with verse 31 all the way to verse 36. But there's a footnote that says that some interpreters end the quotation there. It seems like verses 31 to 36 are really John's commentary. John, the gospel writer, giving a commentary on what John the Baptist is saying. But whichever John is speaking these things, um, there's some great things about Jesus here in these verses. Jesus, um, he unsettles us. Jesus overshadows us. But Jesus overawes us. It's so hard to relate with Jesus. But because of who he is, we need to receive him with great joy. Look at who he is. Be overawed and come to him with joy. Look at who he is. Verses 31, verse 31, he overawes us by his heavenly nature. There's no one like Jesus. Look what it says. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is different from everyone else. So, you know, you you go to seminary and, you you know, you're interested in being a pastor and you, you study Greek and then you come to an occasion like this and you've got a sermon to prepare, and you, 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 you want to look in the Greek. So, you know, a verse like this, I want to look in the Greek. The thing about John is the Greek is so simple, you might as well just not read it. The Gospel of John, his, his language is so simple that, um, you know, you almost, you, you can just get by with your English translation, and there's not much to get from the Greek. But it's very interesting, verse 31, when you look at the Greek, because you find that the Greek is even simpler than what they put in English. The Greek is very, very, very simple. And I think that when they, when they even trans, the whole history of translation, the whole tradition of translation into English, they've always given a big interpretive translation to verse 31 when it's very, very simple. Listen to what it says in Greek. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you the way that it says it in Greek. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is from the earth and speaks from the earth. The one who is from heaven is above all. Now, it's so simple. The one who's from the earth is from the earth and speaks from the earth. And the one who is from heaven is above all. In other words, if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, it you know, quacks like a duck, whatever, it walks like it smells like a duck, whatever. Yeah, it's a duck. And uh, we're just from the earth. That's all we are. That's the only kind of people I've ever met. It's the only kind of people I know is people from the earth. There are two kinds of people. There's Jesus and everybody else. He's unique. There's no one like him. 
He is from above. And so his nature is completely apart from everyone else. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. That's the beginning of uh, the first words of this Gospel of John. And that fellow, the Word, has now become flesh and dwelt among us. And then we have this encounter between, you know, from the earth, from the earth, from the earth. Someone who's from the earth, and they're from the earth. And they talk like they're from the earth. Meeting from above. And how's it going to go? What's going to happen? What kind of relationship is this going to be? Are you scared to meet him? Are you scared to, to see him face to face? It's a, a unique relationship, not like anyone else you've ever met. He overawes us by his heavenly nature. He overawes us by his heavenly words. Would you look at verses 32 to 34? He testifies to what he has seen and heard. Well, that's just what all of us do. We see things, we hear things, we talk about them. There's nothing unusual about that. Yeah, but what has Jesus seen and heard? The one who comes from above. What has he seen and heard that he testifies to? It's going to be something different. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Jesus comes and he speaks words like no one else ever spoke. That's what the guards said when they tried to come and arrest him. No one ever spoke the way this guy does. Well, no wonder. He's God's son in the flesh, and he speaks what he has seen and heard. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? How can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus says, I'm telling you, we're talking about things we've seen and heard, and you don't understand us. And uh, so Jesus mystifies the people he encounters. And they can't catch him. They can't get his word. They can't understand him. He overawes us by his word. He overawes us by his nature, by his words, and by his heavenly authority. And look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus has an authority like no other. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Jesus has everything in his hands. All the authority is his. Uh, He's not only different from all of us in his nature. He's not only overwhelming in the way that he speaks and the things that he says because he speaks the very words of God But he has the authority over our lives. He holds us in his hands because God has put everything into his hands. And so he is the Lord. He is the king. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son 
will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. God's wrath abides on whatever is evil, because God is holy. This is our great problem. Our great problem is not that God is not good enough. Our great problem is that God is holy, and we can't stand before a holy God. And so God's wrath remains on us. If we're not holy, if we're not devoted to him, if our hearts don't burn like a flame with love for him, we're not holy. And we remain under God's wrath. But it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Because Jesus is, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus takes away our sins. He himself took the place that, of punishment that we deserved. He bore the wrath of God so that we do not. Whoever believes in him has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Such authority. The Son of God, just different from everyone else. Uh, a frightening personage to encounter. But he comes so humbly, so graciously to us that we're, we're attracted. So why does the bride belong to the bridegroom? Why does the bride go to the bridegroom? Because the bride is drawn to the bridegroom. And so Jesus is winning people to himself because he's attractive. He is unsettling. He is overwhelming. And he's, uh, he, he's too great to, to relate to. He overawes us. But he is wonderful. He is wonderful. To be near to him is life. It's joy. It's peace. There's no one like the king. But he's rejected, and he's misunderstood, and he's misrepresented. Every Christian has a responsibility in the world to represent Jesus faithfully, truthfully, and honestly, to be the, the make-way person who represents Jesus truly as he is, not just making up a, a, a Jesus that's more comfortable, not just making up a Jesus that is what people are looking for, but representing Jesus as he is, not just a nice teacher, the king, not just someone who will help you with whatever desire you have or problem you have, the king, the Lord, who gives us everything good, everything we need. We need to represent him as faithful ambassadors. And so as faithful ambassadors, we call to you, we call to the world to humble yourself, to bow before Jesus, to come to Jesus, to submit to him. Jesus is unique. There is no other like him. There is no other king of kings. We delight to hear his voice, to hear the voice of the one who saw God, who was with God from the beginning, who comes and opens to us the things that we need to hear, the one who knows our hearts, who understands our souls, the one who holds our lives in his hands, 
the one who saves us from our sins. This is the one who comes to us and, has, and, and calls us to himself. We delight to hear his voice as John delighted to hear his voice. It's God's will that Jesus will draw us to himself and make us his own. Let's bow in prayer.